Thanks for tuning in to the Glossy Podcast. I'm your host, Jill Manoff, and today I sit down with fourth and fifth generation mascots, Dr. Harvey Mascot and Zach Mascot. They are the CEO and Chief Design Officer of Mascot Eyewear and Eye Care, which has been a New York institution for more than 100 years. I wanted to ask them about the company's secret to longevity, including how it's fared during the pandemic and why continuing to invest in physical retail has made sense. Welcome to you, Harvey. Good day, Jill. Thanks, Thanks for so having much for us. Being here. Hi, Zach. Hi, Jill. So nice to meet you. Yeah, nice to meet you as well. So I'm fourth and fifth generation. I mean, was there ever any uh, doubt that you'd be joining the family business? Let's start with you, Zach. (laughs) Um, It's funny. When I was a little boy, I always had a reluctance to joining the family business. And as I got older and I saw the business evolve, um, I always had a passion for product design and the relationship between products and, and objects and there was this great opportunity um, as Harvey was was growing and expanding the business to develop the brand and develop the product lines and the creative. And I saw this opportunity to transition the business into the digital realm as well. So as I got older and I went to study product design at the University of Michigan, I realized it was my opportunity to join the business, not as an optician or an eye doctor, but instead as a designer. And that was my segue into the family business. And that was how I joined. Right on. How about you, Harvey? You were you you were studying up for this. Yeah, well, you know, I genuinely like to help people and helping people with their vision was always intriguing and a new angle for entering Moscot as the first optometrist and background in um, healthcare and getting a doctor of optometry degree. Love playing my guitar and being in bands, but I couldn't sing. So I had to figure out something <laughs> else and find another path that merged a lot of my interests. And, and this was a great opportunity. Oh, my gosh. I want to hear more about this the bands. But I have to ask, for those who don't know, um, you haven't seen the iconic mascot logo in store, uh, Lower East Side. Everybody in New York, I think, knows your brand brand well. For those listening elsewhere, tell us a little bit about it. What makes mascot so special? Um, I think authenticity is one in our history and our heritage. My great-grandfather, Hyman Mascot, who I am named after, I'm Harvey, came through Ellis Island. He, you know, emigrated from Eastern Europe, escaping oppression, and was an optician back in the old country and came to the Lower East Side and set up shop with his push cart, which is our logo today. On Orchard Street, all the merchants who had um, push carts were set up there and sold their wares to the public. And Hyman was an optician. He was like, you know, that's all he knew. That's what he did. And he sold glasses from that push cart. And in, in those times, you didn't have formalized eye exams. You just tried on readers or distance glasses. And if you saw better, you purchased them. Right on. I mean, that is the ultimate brand story that every brand is <laughs> really, they, they want to have, but yeah, lacking. <laughs> Zach, what can you tell me about the design, the manufacturing of these glasses that makes them, um, again, a standout in the market? I just want to add to Harvey's point as well. Hyman was first generation, and here we are today. It's all still in the family. Four generations later, I'm the fifth, and I think that's what makes us unique. It's very few businesses, especially in America, that make it to its fifth generation and keep it in the family. So our fans appreciate that. Our customers appreciate and feel that when they come in our shops, and that's certainly what sets us apart uh, nowadays. Um, from a product perspective, I think we maintain that authenticity uh, full and through with the construction, our colorways, our designs. We we have a collection that we're known for around the world, our Moscow Originals collection, and we really stay true 
to the authentic way that those frames were made, whether it's the materials, the riveting of the details, the way the frame is constructed, the strength of the frame. And we take that all through the experience into the optical side of the business and the types of lenses that we fabricate in-house and things down to fun things like tinting and really making the experience feel like a fashion forward one. And our customers really appreciate that. Yeah. To what extent are you guys a vertically integrated business? Are you guys doing everything in-house, the production, the, yeah, is everything happening here? Yes, we, we fabricate our frames and then we have all of our prescriptions grinded in-house um, in New York. A lot of them are on site as well in our shops and even in our lab for our global e-commerce platform, we are fabricating our frames and lenses and sending them abroad. Great. You know, go ahead. Yeah, we've been experts in in this profession. Optics is tricky, and you really need to have an understanding because you're providing such an important service. We've been fabricating prescription eyewear for the past hundred years, so it's really something we pay attention to and understand. It's it's actually one of the complexities of the business. I hear a lot about um, in the eyewear industry, and we've had Coco and Breezy on the podcast, um, the dominance of Luxottica. Is that something that, I don't know, is an issue, is felt constantly? Do people come to you for something different and something special? Um, yeah. Tell me about that player in the market. You know, we kind of keep our sights straight ahead, you know, reflecting on our past and our virtues and doing what we do best. So we kind of don't take, you know, of course we take notice and we feel that, the you know the big the big conglomerates you know only increase eyeballs on the space the newer players do the same you know we truly believe that um you know rising tides floats all boats here and you know we stay true to what we do and it, it seems to work for us tell me about keeping it fresh keeping it alive you said the originals collection it's hot, hot, hot. <laughs> I would think that that's maybe been around for a bit. Um, I also know that there have been some awesome collaborations uh, with Todd Snyder, for example. Um, yeah, what's the key? Are you guys turning out new product regularly? Or what's the key to kind of keeping it interesting, keeping it fresh? Yeah, I think that's a great question. Uh, I th- we tell stories very well, I think, because a lot of it, are it, it's all real. So reinterpreting or, or just expressing who we are in new and fun ways through video content, through digital content is something that we've been successful with. And I think our fans enjoy watching it and engaging with us. From a product perspective, we do launch seasonal collections. So we are very much running on a fashion calendar in terms of having newness in fall and spring. So loyal customers that come back that are looking for that new fresh product, that is something that we we do do. And on top of that, we have a lot of friend, friends of the brand, excuse me, such as Todd, um, other designers that have been customers of ours, other celebrities or artists that have always just been customers of ours or patients of, of Harvey, my father, and getting eye exams. And a lot of times it's just meshing our culture and our DNA with who frequents our, our shop experience, getting to know them. Um, and a lot of times those might transpire into greater collaborations. I also think, Jill, there's great energies and creative spirits that exist on the Lower East Side of Manhattan. We've been there in New York City. It's always been like a plethora of artists. And like I said, these free spirit, creative. It, was, it wasn't always a beautiful, gentrified neighborhood. It was always where the artists were, were born. And we've been fortunate to have these folks as our customers and get inspired by the Lower East Side and New York City. And, and that's kind of like, 
you know, where we spend our days and, and, and what gives us, you know, the creative passion and energy. Yes. Tell me about your distribution. What's happening through your own stores, uh, I guess, in terms of sales versus what's happening on your site? You have a beautiful website, which I don't know. I always think of I would go to your store if I want to buy, <laughs> buy your glasses. But yeah, what's happening? And no wholesale partners, or are there? Yeah. I mean, I think we're unique in that we have fairly diversified channels of distribution. We, we have a direct-to-consumer um, division, which is, of course, online in our own shops. Nobody can tell our story better than we can in our own shops. You know, that's why it's so important for us to have our brick and mortar physical spaces. And um, we have our own wholesale distribution in Europe. We have some partners in Asia that we, we do sell our product to. And we, we have selective distribution in the USA and North America to accounts that, like I said, that we partner with that will help tell our story, understand who and what we are and just don't view us as you know, another eyewear brand because we're not, we're, we're, we're a family passionate about what we do. What role does your, do your stores play in telling your story? I know when we first attempted to set up this podcast, it was kind of a long time ago, uh, back in October, you were opening your 15th store in the Upper West Side, your first uptown New York store. Um, and I just remember that, um, you know, in the, in the even the press release, there was um, some attention paid to the fact that you're going to bring some of that tradition in house. There will be some, I guess, vintage elements and um, way. Is that was that is that always crucial to really bring in um, the kind of old school feel to the to the store? I think it's it's so important to note. Harvey talked about our history a bit. We started as brick and mortar retailers, right? We didn't start as an e commerce site that then launched retail. So. Our, re- our retail, our brick and mortar is our story, right? That's who we are. And so the experience that one feels when they walk into Moscow shop, in, I mean, yes, a new shop is a new shop, but we're really trying to, to replicate that feeling that one felt when they walked in our original shop in the Lower East Side. And the tchotchkes, the elements, the furniture, those are all things that we've accumulated over the years. And it's just this natural, you know, amalgamation of things that is mascot. That's our DNA. It's our, it is our history is our DNA and, and the Lower East Side is our DNA. So, you know, exploiting that across the world has been a, a key recipe for us with all of our shop openings. Yeah. Does that same story translate in, in, in international markets? Regardless, people want to know that you have a history. They want to know where you came from or does the approach change? I think, um, you know, New York City has always been the epicenter of the world. So I think it translates very well. In Europe, you know, the people are appreciate generational businesses. I always say this in Venice, you have the gondola families that are hundreds of years. So they do appreciate a family that's been, you know, attentive to their craft for 106 years. So it does translate and they do appreciate the New York City aspect of um, what Moscot is. So 15 stores in 105 plus years. <laughs> um, are you accelerating that? Um, are more stores coming this year? You know, we always look for opportunity. It's been a tough year, and we truly believe crisis does yield opportunity. And like I said earlier, opening these brick-and-mortar stores is the best way to tell our story. So, yes, to answer your question, we do look for selective sites that work for the brand. You know, we're guided by doing things for the right reasons, you know, not necessarily um, pressure from financial purposes. So things are done for the right reasons, and we believe if you do things for the right reasons, you, you will be rewarded. What makes a location great for you guys? Um, I can speak to that, Zach. It's usually a combination of of having, you know, a fair amount of visibility, obviously, so that we can showcase um, our visual merchandise. It incorporates um, 
exposing our shop to local trade as well as some tourist trade who know of us. Um, you know, and, and just regular, you know, we need a certain amount of foot traffic. It's important to us. So kind of like the conventional um, ingredients for a proper brick and mortar retail shop. I think also just to add, Harv, um, you know, we've always catered to the creative types in Manhattan. So where, wherever we go around the world, I do think we are looking for a certain culture or area of people that have a creative sensibility, artists, you know, those are the types of people that appreciate our brand and our product in particular. So um, that's always kind of the starting point. And then from there, we'll dive deeper into some of those specific details that Harvey is. And like Joe, we get, you know, we get offered opportunities in malls and we just never felt like, you know, we can really portray ourselves in a mall environment. Um, some countries, that's all that's offered. But where we have the opportunity to select a location that feels right for the brand that reminds us of the Lower East Side in New York City, which happened in London, which happened in Amsterdam. That Those are the areas that we, we seek, those creative kind of epicenters. For me, seeing the glasses, like the style sells them, like they're great. How are you getting, how are you marketing now? How are you getting these in front of uh, potential customers? I think the brick and mortar piece is big for us. Um, we've had great engagement through social media and, and digitally online. We're exploring now some new digital channels such as YouTube and through Google, for example. Um, but I do think the wholesale piece and the physical brick and mortar piece has been key for us throughout the years for people to really see and feel the brand and really understand what it is. And then just supplementing that right with some of those previous things that I mentioned. Yeah. Are influencers a big part of the equation? They're really not for us. Um, you know, we've never it's never really been our thing to pay, pay to play. You know, yeah. we're just really appreciative of, of who comes in our doors you know, they might be famous people, it might be Hollywood folk, but it's just, we just treat everyone like a customer. And I think our fans appreciate that. And we're not really, while celebrities might wear the brand, we're really not a celebrity or influencer driven type brand. It's just more organic and natural for us in that sense. Yeah, well, I was creeping on your social channels uh, prior to this interview. I think Harvey, you said in maybe your your uh, video on YouTube about the story of, of Moscot. I think that you were, you were talking about um, the, I guess, intersection of healthcare and fashion. Um, I would think that, that your placement in the market has served you well during the pandemic. Are people shopping? What's been going on in the last year? Well, that's always been an intrigue for me, the, the evolution of eyewear to become a fashion accessory. It took way too long. It was always a healthcare device. And I come from the healthcare background as an optometrist performing eye exams for 25 plus years. So I get that side, but you know, eyeglasses are the first thing that you see on someone's face. Um, so they're not only providing vision, but they're making a statement about your, your tastes and, and your fashion preferences. And, you know, you always need to see clearly and you always need eye care. So falling into that kind of zone of healthcare and fashion was, was helpful during the pandemic because you, you need to continue to see well, especially more so spending more time on computer screens and having, you know, eye strain working on a um, personal device. So that's been definitely something that's helped. We have doctors on site in our shops. So we are essential in a lot of ways for people's vision. Yes. Is that a big differentiator? I know, um, you know, there are disruptors in the market. Like you said, they maybe emerge digitally native um, and I mean, it's kind of, it can be a hassle <laughs> to get a pair of those frames. But anyway, is that your diff a big differentiator for you um, you guys now? Are, are most not doing that, or am I just not hip to what's happening? You mean providing eye exams? Exactly. Yeah, I mean, 
it, it, the eye care approach is different in every country too. So we're, we're diversified in terms of our geography and, and the way eye exams are provided is different in every region. So I can't really speak, but we do, we are known for really providing excellent eye care or something like I said, I did comprehensive eye care, um, and, and really attentive to someone's visual lifestyle needs, how they use their eyes. Everybody's different. People have different working distances. So it's something we're really focused on. And um, we're offering physical exams in practically all of our shops. Some of our shops here in America now, we're, we're testing telemedicine exams. So we offer it in two of our shops every day of the week. You can just walk in without an appointment. So again, and in Europe, um, opticians can provide refractions, which is giving prescriptions. You can't do that in America. You have to be a doctor. So there are variations that are interesting as well. Let's talk about some of those obstacles um, in that you guys do rely heavily on on the uh, brick-and-mortar stores. Again, in the last year, they were closed, maybe not for the whole year. Um, yes. How did you guys handle that? What, did everybody, did your customer move online? I know that you did some awesome updates. I don't know if virtual try-on was was new, but yeah, what was the customer behavior? Um, I mean, there were definitely times where we were closed, but we kept all of our staff employed and maintained, you know, a lot of the family members that have been with us for years and years. And that's something that's dear to our heart as a family business. Um, so even while we were closed, we had our musketeers, we call them, or family members, you know, <laughs> calling loyal customers, speaking to them, just touching base, making sure that they were taken care of at home, whether they had different visual needs, like Harvey said, working on the computer. Um, we were able to service them, you know, through our e-commerce platform or fulfilling phone orders, for example. And we were deemed an essential business in a lot of ways through the eye care elements. So we were open as much as we could be servicing the local communities that frequent the mascot shops. And also, Zach. And we managed it in that sense. We were also yeah. able to um, contribute to all the frontline workers with our lab. So we did this huge charitable initiative, which has always been something that's been part of the family during past downturns, such as the Depression and 9-11, reaching back, giving back to the community. We work with our lab and we supplied... Um, Thousands of pairs of prescription eyewear to frontline workers all around the country here in America. Many of them relied on, I know firsthand, many of these healthcare workers live in their contact lenses. And it was important they were working 24-7 to have a pair of glasses to protect them and give them some kind of barrier of protection against, you know, respiratory viral particles. And so we supplied these eyeglasses and it was a really, really re rewarding initiative and also kept many of our, quote, family members very, very busy during those months in March, mm -hmm. April, and May of last year. That's yeah, awesome. that was really great. I want to circle back to virtual try-on. Are you investing more in technology? Are, are you souping up your e-commerce site um, in the last year? Was it already kind of prepared for, for an increase in traffic and kind of the new standards um, of e-commerce? Yeah, great question. We were prepared. Um, so yes, we started our transition, you know, fully in digital several years ago. So I think when the pandemic hit, we were able to kind of pivot and really step on the gas when we needed to. And that is something that we did. You know, while we're not a very large company or even that big, you know, relatively speaking, you know, we're a fairly small family business, but we are global, right? So we had some tactical ways of, Shipping worldwide, you know, speaking to all of our customers, customers internationally through the different channels that we talked about earlier. And then on top of that, like you said, sprinkling on some great technology such as the virtual try on. And that has been, 
you know, a, a great tool for us online just to help people try on frames um, while they're at home. Seeing, and I, and I, I just want to add the key thing for us with the virtual try, and it has been around for quite a bit, but what's unique about ours is that we're so focused on a proper fit and the fact that we offer multiple sizes in a pair of frames because we don't believe one frame fits all, which really speaks to our heritage and our craft. Um, our virtual try-on is true to scale. So one could see how a frame fits in different sizes. And that's been key for conversion for us online as well. Yeah. Tell me about the size of your team or who is on your team. What Maybe what the breakdown is. If you are investing more so in marketing than maybe a competitor because your story is such a piece of the pie or such a, such a part of the, of the brand. Um, yeah. What's the breakdown? I think it, the marketing piece is interesting because it depends if you're creating some content in-house or out of house. So I think the content piece is a huge part of it, right? We do create a lot of content in-house. So we have a team of content creators, a few of us that are working on that day in and day out. And the rest of the team is also contributing to that, you know, from a copy and creational standpoint. And then on top of that, we, I would say we have your pretty standard digital e-commerce team, you know, with directors for marketing and the e-commerce platform specifically. And then on top of that, we have the e-com team and our CRM team so that we can analyze our customers and, you know, speak to them appropriately. For sure. Um, Harvey, who would you say is your customer? Who are they? You know, I would say it's pretty, it's pretty diverse, you know, and, um, Anybody can walk into a mascot shop, but predominantly it's a 25 to a 45-year-old customer. You know, it depends. We see, we see different trends online. We see older folks coming online now more often buying prescription eyewear, but the, 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 the meat and potatoes is maybe 25 to 45 around. Yeah. And how would you say you wrapped up 2020? Like, what was the year that was? Was it maybe on par with prior years? Was there maybe... Like you, like everyone else, you saw that that huge decline in March and it was a slow build. How would you compare the year? You know, it was a it was a, it was a learning experience. It was a trying year. Um, it was a year of being resilient and <clears throat> monitoring expenses and being able to adapt to the environment, which I think we did fairly well. Um, Zach and his, like we discussed, his digital team were, were ready for this, even though we didn't expect it. And again, we viewed it as a time to um, seek other opportunities um, and constantly meet with our team and, and, and you know, watch our expenses. And, and really, fortunately, we had a strong balance sheet that we were able to weather it and get through it. Were there any bells and whistles, maybe things that you found, we don't need to be doing this, we can streamline, like so things that you're going to eliminate from the equation altogether? That's a great question. I mean, you know, we, we always spent a lot of times, all of us couldn't travel. So travel was reduced, sadly, which is a great part of what we do and seeing our team in Europe. But we realized trade shows um, were, were avoided and they were all canceled. And we figured out other ways to showcase new product and interact with our wholesale customers and our end consumer as well. So I would say in that regard, it was enlightening. Different ways to reach out, speak and communicate with our you know, channels of trade. What can you tell me about 2021 goals? Um, to continue to tell our story like we've always done, expand our physical yeah. footprint, um, and really, just like Zach said, keep the pedal to the metal in our digital and juxtaposing these technologies with our, you know, storied past. You know, even though we're 106 years, we love having the technology lead us forward as well. In terms of acquiring new customers, you mentioned uh, Google, Zach, um, is, is like a search working to drive customers to the site. Um, what's working? 
search is of course working. Um, we do have a lot of direct traffic, which is key for us. Um, you know, people know the brand and we have a loyal following and that's, that's been really clutch during times like this. <laughs> for sure. And then last <laughs> question, what would you say? <laughs> I like clutch. Um, the la- the next, I guess, uh, what what are we what are we doing to ensure that there is a uh, generation nine and ten um, in future <laughs> glossy podcast? We'll say um, anyway. What's the key to longevity moving forward? Making babies. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, I do have twin girls, so we'll see one day. But um, I think what Harvey said, you know, it's treating our customers with fairness. It's what we've always done. You know, not necessarily resting on our laurels, but really still understanding where we've come from and um, staying true to who and what we are. Right. And that's providing a memorable experience in shop online, you know, providing an omni channel experience or omnipresent experience so that our customers feel like they're getting the optical mascot experience wherever they go. And um, I think Harvey and I do juxtapose, you know, his generation and my own. And I hope that people are feeling that and seeing that through the brand because we work hard every day and it's a family business and we love what we do. And we got to have fun and we never take ourselves too seriously. And I look forward to getting our music program back online, which, <clears throat> which we haven't been able to do. So we're really excited for 2021. Wait, what is that? Moscow Music was started a very long time ago on a rainy day, no customers. I played my guitar and my friends started singing. And I thought it was a great way to bring music, which has been dear and near to my heart growing up playing guitar. Um, and we used to have great events in our shops and um, showcase up-and-coming musicians. There was limited amounts of venues 15 years ago on the Lower East Side when we started it. And um, it was a great way to bring new people to the brand. And again, it was authentic. It wasn't like, hey, let's bring music into the brand. This is Zach's a guitar player, songwriter. I'm a player. We have a lot of staff, family members that are great musicians. We hire people. It's like a sensibility. If someone's a musician, the interview usually goes pretty well. So it's just a funny thing that's part of our creative backgrounds and that we miss See, I was kicking myself for not asking about like the community element and what's happening in store. Are our events, regular events part of um yeah, part of your marketing, part of what you do? Yes. Yes. We we do it. We showcase like for example this Moscow music on the Lower East Side and we you know, plan to continue it. Um and we invite people and we have a good time and we we we, you know, get some money towards our charity, Moscow Mobilize, which we want to get back on track. So it's all interrelated and, and, and real. Amazing. I want to come. I am so there next time. <laughs> For we'll sure. see you there. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you both. It was an awesome conversation. Appreciate thanks, you being Joe. here. Thanks, Joe. Yeah, thanks so much. Thanks for having, thanks us. For having us. Of course. That's all for this episode. Our theme music is by Otis McDonald. If you liked this episode, be sure to share it with someone else you think would. Thanks for listening to the Glossy Podcast.